Welcome to episode 92 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Becky. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Becky, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Have you ever been triggered by someone else's behavior? How do you feel when that when that happens? How does the Al-Anon program or other uh, program help you to deal with triggers? Yeah, that's right. Today we're ca- talking about triggers. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to this topic of triggers. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Akila. How are you today, Akila? I'm good, Spencer. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, triggers. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend, and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief notes about the podcast before closing. Uh, Akili, you have a reading for us. I do. Today's um, The reading comes from Hope for Today on page 220. It's, the date is August 7th. Depression, compulsive overeating, and low self-esteem are some ways my father's alcoholism affected me. I had to attend many Al-Anon meetings, however, before I understood that the root of these shortcomings was my inability to be true to myself. I became aware of my tendency to let people take advantage of me because I wanted to please them. Yet I often felt depressed when I did something expected of me that ran counter to my goals or values. When I did stand up for myself, I felt guilty. My life was like walking a tightrope. Al-Anon helped me discover my rights as a person. It began with being given the right to speak at meetings without interruption or advice. I was told my anonymity would be respected and that only I had the right to disclose it. This was possibly one of the first choices I had ever been given. Eventually, I heard that no is the complete sentence and that I had a right to refuse without explanation. I learned the value of applying the serenity prayer to relationships and to my people-pleasing. If nothing I do or say can make people like or dislike me, then I might as well do what is in my best interest as long as it hurts no one else. Lastly, through service, I learned how to set realistic goals and achieve them step by step. I learned that success is irrelevant. Failure can be an opportunity to grow, not to beat myself up. This is how positive self-esteem is built. I never experienced the process of personal growth until I came to Al-Anon. As I said, my name's Spencer and Akila. Let's let's talk about triggers. I think the first question that comes up, and I think um, I think the emails that I got on this, you know, had some different definitions. But what does trigger mean to you? Uh, to me, a trigger is something that makes me feel like. Well, it makes me feel bad. I don't know how else to explain it. For me, a lot of times triggers make me feel like either um, I'm back in the past. So I know you you mentioned earlier as a form like PTSD, and I actually went to a therapist and for outside help with an issue I was having, which I'll probably talk about in a few minutes. But 
And she said that part of what I was having was PTSD, which just means that you're living in the present as though it's the past. So that was, that's my experience. Like it's usually something, it brings up something from the past and I feel like I'm stuck in that moment and I'm not even right now. It's like old me is dealing with this new situation and I don't always quite know what to do. And it usually, of course, throws me completely off guard emotionally. Yeah, I think that's pretty close to the way I'm thinking about it these days. Um, I've been noticing where certain events in my life, I have um, a disproportionately emotional response to what's happening, that that something happens and I'll get very angry or very upset, and I don't really mm-hmm. know why. And when I take some time to basically do some inventory on myself to to step back and to say, hmm, what happened there? Uh, often I can recognize that I, as you say, I'm, uh, there's an old me that's reacting. There's a me that, that was living in uh, a chaotic, uh, a hurtful um, situation. And whatever, something that happened, something that somebody said, something that somebody did, sort of puts me back there. Uh, puts me back into that situation, and then I react as if I'm in that situation. Uh, and uh, and I guess yeah. I guess that also helps uh, sort of points to uh, looking ahead in the conversation to how the program maybe has is helping me to uh, reduce the impact, uh, maybe even eliminate some of the triggers by doing things like inventory to say, oh, that's old me. Right. Yeah, and I think, because um, I'm looking ahead a little bit too, but and thinking about the reading, and I actually picked that one up because um, I read it once when I had gotten triggered by something that happened in my family, and it was the middle, it was late, so I couldn't even call it. You know, I couldn't call anybody, and it was really overwhelming, and I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. And when I found that reading that I just did on August 7th from Hope for Today, mm-hmm. I underlined that part like that. Yet I often felt depressed when I did something expected of me that ran counter to my goals or values. When I did stand up for myself, I felt guilty because that's what was happening. It was um, um, that idea that I knew it wasn't quite right for me, but I didn't want to say anything. I didn't know how to say anything. And so then it just left me feeling stuck, like I couldn't do anything else. Um, and that actually was hap- what happened. I felt depressed. Like um, my mom had asked me something and I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to say I didn't want to do it. And then I just like completely shut down. I came around, you know, like I just completely shut down and my whole attitude changed. I had to leave the room and it was just like, and I just was like, I don't even get where this is coming from. And so it took some, um, doing some, like you said, doing some inventory, doing some, some journaling, doing some work. Um, for me, actually finding a reading help because that helped me pinpoint why I had gotten upset right. because I didn't even know why I had gotten upset. And then, I was able to dig a little bit more and figure out what about that particular request had upset me. That that makes a lot of sense. And 
you know, this is a benefit of having the literature that sometimes we can, we can go into the literature and say, and find something that helps us even when uh, you know, yeah, people and I wish I are not available. Right. And I wish I could even remember what I looked up to find it. I think I eventually found it under either people pleasing or boundaries, but I can't even remember what I came in here and started looking for initially. I was just like, there's got to be something because I don't know what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I mm-hmm. ran across this one and it it really worked. Yeah. So, hey guys out there, um, get the literature, use it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I recently recognized um, a trigger in me that it was a, it's a complicated situation where um, I, you know, I've talked about how my mother's memory is going as as mm-hmm. she gets older, and that I would find myself uh, getting angry. You know, she would. The conversation would cycle around, back around, because she would forget where we had been before. Uh, and it particularly the thing that would particularly uh, trigger this anger, to use that word, would be sort of asking a question about something that she had asked exactly the same question a few minutes earlier and maybe a few minutes before that. And and I would I would feel this anger coming up. And I think I think it it comes from a couple of sources and one of them was obvious which is uh fear that fear that I'm losing her. Uh, and when I'm afraid uh, a common response for me is to get is to get angry. That's one of the sources of anger for me, but I realized also that I was being triggered back to an older me who was dealing when I was dealing with active alcoholism in my life, that this is behavior that my alcoholic would exhibit, that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that no short term memory and, and cycling back and cycling back and cycling back. And, um, and so not only was this my, my mother's, um, you know, not remembering what we just talked about triggering the fear. It was also taking me back to that situation where I was helpless and full of anger and rage. And so mm-hmm. I, would, I was sort of echoing that and, you know, recognizing that then helped me. And I, I, I went to a meeting uh, while I was visiting my, my folks recently. And, and I, at the meeting I talked about, um, you know, this and, and, one of the, I think it was in that meeting, one of the people said, what really helped me was to recognize that for um, my parent who was going through this, that every time they asked the question, it was, a new, it was new to them. It was the first time they had asked it. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's about finding some compassion and understanding for for their situation and it's about living in the moment and it's about meeting people where they are. And these are all tools that, that I've been learning uh, in, in Al-Anon that have helped me to deal with that particular uh, triggering situation. Yeah. And I've also found, I mean, it's just like you were saying that whole deal where when I was living with activism and I more so, I mean, my parents are, 
adult well at least my mom is definitely an adult child of an alcoholic I don't know if my dad is but um what was the other part of reading is that eventually I heard sentence and I learned the value of um being given a choice and so what I think is interesting is when I think about it um, my mom was asking me to do something and when I was a kid I couldn't say no. Like, even though it would be a question, it wasn't really a question because they would badger me um, or make me feel bad for not doing it. You know what I mean? So to the point where it was just like, fine, I'll just give in. And then um, even more, and then even after that, um, another thing happened and it was, it was the same relate. I was super hungry though. (laughs) So remember to halt hungry. Am I hungry, angry, lonely or tired? Oh yeah. I had another um, another thing that came up, and it was the same thing. It was one of those things where my parents had said, would you like this? And I didn't like it, but I knew if I said no, I would catch grief for it. Or I felt that I would. I should say I felt that I would. I didn't feel like it was safe for me to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't. And now, so um, like, so basically what you did is my parents were getting mail from this person who was involved in the situation. And I, I would see the name. I was just like, oh, God. You know what I mean? Like, oh, God, this again. And then I finally realized, oh, this is what, it's not even that I'm upset that this person is in contact with them. It's making me think of this situation where I didn't feel like I had a voice and where I didn't feel like I could um, stand up for myself. And if I did try to, I would be, again, badgered or made to feel guilty about it. And I have a choice. And so I, um, and so the other thing I'll say, so yeah, so that was part of it. And the other thing I'll point out too is that when you were saying like, um, that whole thing of just keep being angry or it would make you angry. And that kept happening every time my mom would ask me to do something. Like anytime she asked me something. And so I did have to go get outside help because I had done all the inventories. I had done everything else. And I just, I didn't have clarity about, I couldn't figure it out, you know, through using a program tool. Mm-hmm. So I went, um, I went to get outside help. And I was able to talk to this woman who was like, "Oh, well, um, yeah, because your mom would always ask you for stuff, and you didn't feel like you, you know, like she was able to point out with clarity yeah. exactly what it was." And it was like even just knowing that, and then feeling comfortable starting to set some boundaries because the it's always hard for me to set boundaries with my mother. That was one of the hardest boundary setting things I had to do because I always felt like I was taking care of her. And so if I said no, then somehow I was letting her down mm-hmm. um, or mm-hmm. not taking care of her. And so, you know, eventually it, by working with the outside help, going to meetings, reading my literature, you know, doing the work in a program, I was able to set boundaries and feel more comfortable setting boundaries so that now I can just say, yeah, I'm not doing that, or I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And and another thing that I've noticed too, because um, well, my daughter is my mom does my mom does the same thing. Now she's not in program, so I just I want to point that out. But I told her recently because she was like, oh, my relationship, um, my relationship with my granddaughter is not this. And I said, you know, you don't listen to her. She tells you she doesn't like something, and you do it anyway. And that's sort of the root. You can see the root of my issues. I get to observe these things now, too, without even, you know, I can just talk to her about it without getting angry. That's another gift of the program because um, 
before I probably wouldn't have been able to do that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you were talking about, um, you know, you did all your program work and then you still needed help. And I remembering back to a couple of months ago, Ruth and I were talking about tradition eight, which is about how Al-Anon work, uh, remains non-professional, but we may employ special workers. And part of the um, interpretation of that is, and and I think if you read it, uh, one of the, I think it's in Pastor Recovery, it talks about, you know, there are things that Al-Anon does not deal with and that we should find the appropriate people to deal with those things that the program doesn't doesn't address. Um, And so that's also, you know, like doing good program work is recognizing, oh, this is something where I really need, um, you know, I need a therapist or I need a doctor, I need a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. I wouldn't expect necessarily, you know, Al-Anon to cure my snoring, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to just put it in a, the most obvious terms. Yes. And I'll just, I'll, and I'll just point out too, because I know um, our program is based on Alcoholics Anonymous. And even in the big book, there's a part where it says specifically, um, we make good use of doctors and psychiatrists. Like we love these people and they're great and AA can't do everything. And it's the same principle has carried over into Al-Anon. You know, there are going to be times when we're going to need outside help, which does go with tradition eight. And we just need to... Um, be well. It's all willingness, right? Be willing yeah. and um, know when we need more. And that's, I mean, this is another gift of the program, knowing when to ask for help yeah. and knowing um, when we've become power, completely powerless over a situation. Yes, that is so true. That is so true. And and I was thinking that actually, you know, right before you said it, like we do have tools that help us be clear about mm-hmm. I can deal with this with the help of my program and my higher power or no, I really, I really need some help here. And, and I have a choice. I can go get help. I can ask for help. It's allowed. Um, and, and I think so often I've felt that, no, I'm not allowed to ask for help. I have to do it myself. Yeah. I have to figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> so I had been, I've been thinking about, um, behaviors that and things that trigger me and um and just i don't know sort of randomly there's a a glass actually um so my wife drank a lot of wine and she went through various things to try to 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 deal with it before she you know came to uh treatment and aa and and she went to one of these moderation programs and and they suggested things like get yourself a really pretty glass and and then um, you know you'll drink less, uh, which I don't know that makes sense or whatever, <laughs> but um, maybe for some people it makes sense. Like, yeah, make maybe. it special, right? And then it's not <laughs> yeah. you're not just gonna like chug it if it's special. So um, she bought a couple of hand painted wine glasses, and recently she used one of those glasses for. I don't know, iced tea or something, um, just, you know, because it was sort mm-hmm. of a special occasion. And and I felt this sort of feeling of, of unease, maybe even fear, just sort of rising up in the pit of my stomach. 
Right. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Um, you know, it's still there. It's still there. And, and of course, I recognized it for what it was, but it was like, uh, sometimes we don't even know. Sometimes I don't even know I have these triggers until something happens to make me feel it. And, and I think, you know, there's this signal that of this emotion that is just out of line with what's actually happening. Right. And then sometimes I think for, um, I, I was just remembering too, when I was younger. So this is, this is hilarious. When I think about it today, like I always hated being around drunk people and I didn't understand why, um, you know, like my friends and, so, and I was, and I was always the person not drinking. So that just gives you, because I didn't, this is Alan. I didn't want to lose control and I had mm-hmm. to be completely like aware at all times. Uh-huh. And, um, I remember friends, I remember, um, like we were all hanging out or something and somebody was getting drunk. Like they were all drinking or getting high. And I remember just like going off on this girl. We were not even that close, but I was so upset. And I didn't even realize until much later that, of course, I didn't like being around drunk people because that's what my family was like. And so that meant my friends weren't safe if they were drunk. And then, um, and when I was in college, a friend of mine got so drunk. She was so drunk, you know, like sloppy, falling down, had like one of the movies had to be carried into the room. And I was so upset. And like, I just kind of shut down emotionally Mm -hmm. and was just kind of sitting over to the side and looking terrible and sad. And she was even like, I'm just And I just, I really didn't understand that I didn't like it because this was, this is home. You know, like this is what it was like. I didn't like being around, reminded of it because again, being away at school and stuff was my safe place. And so it stopped being safe when I got around that kind of excessive drinking. Um, And so even, you know, today... (laughs) so I think of it and it's so funny because I have friends and I would say this to my mom, I said... They, I guess they don't want to hang out with me because I don't smoke and I don't drink. And that's all they do. And it never occurred to me until I got in a program that I didn't have to hang out with them. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, <laughs> those are my friends and that's what they do. And so, of course, I'm going to be there and I'm not going to like it. And they're probably going to not like being around me because I'm just like, you're drinking again. And not once did I think, I don't have to hang out with these people if this is what they're going to do. Um, but that's why I have choices today. <laughs> Alana teaches me I have choices. And now I make friends with people who don't do stuff like that all the time. It's very, it's, it's such a, it's amazing. It is. It is. Um, I've got a voicemail here from Harriet. Uh, okay. That I want to play. If I can get the equipment to cooperate. Hang on. Hi, Spencer and guests. This is Harriet again. Um, I wanted to say I loved the 4Ms episode. Um, and as per Erica's suggestion, I am calling in regarding the trigger episode. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention was that I identified very strongly with the caller before that a trigger to me has always been a almost visceral reaction that is disproportionate with the interaction that I have had with somebody. Um, and what's really scary about that is if I did not notice that until I realized that I was being triggered, I almost always thought that it was the person who was making me feel that way. Um, and 
for me, one of the things I've come to understand is that as a child in my home, um, one of the ways that my um, father gave us feedback and controlled us really was through shame. And over time, what I came to realize about being triggered was that I was triggered by almost the most imperceptible thing. It could be a glance. It could be a tone of voice. It could be anything that elicited a feeling of shame in me. And uh, the gift of the program, for me anyway, is that I have come to see that and that that's my issue. One of the things that I used to always say in relationships when I felt shameful due to a trigger was that I felt like I was five years again, five years old again, um, and my father was shaming me. Though I didn't say that, that my father was shaming me, I don't think I got it. And somebody gave me something to read by Dr. Charles Whitfield, and it was about the concept of age regression when you do have a trigger. And it's in his book, A Gift to Myself, Chapter 20, Visiting My Family of Origin. And he goes through the visceral changes that can happen when you're triggered um, and how you sort of regress. And if you don't address that, how we get stuck and how it can be a gift, which it really has been to me, to at the very least acknowledge that this is happening um, and that way I can accept it ultimately. The other thing that I mentioned in my first uh, voicemail was how triggering can also elicit feelings that I have about myself. And it can be in the form of a share. At which point um, she hit Google's three-minute limit uh, so she sent me an email um, with the rest of uh, what she wanted to say. She said, I feel a similar uh, disproportionate response to other people's behavior on occasion. And when I examine it, I see that it is often because that behavior acts as a mirror to my own that I would rather not see. It could be in the form of an attitude from my 10-year-old daughter or a share I'm uncomfortable with at a meeting. I find that at the root of this internal conflict is a lack of acceptance of my own similar behaviors or sentiments. So in this case, what is triggered for me is a lack of self-acceptance of my darker side. Now that I'm aware of this, I can focus my energy on accepting my whole self, not just the best parts. And in so doing, I can encourage and let others do the same. Thanks for your service. I especially love the topic shows. Really got a lot out of the shows on pain versus suffering and the four M's. Take care, as always, and keep on keeping on. Harriet, oh, man, she had a lot to say. You, what, what are your thoughts about what Harriet had to say? I thought it was interesting, especially the thing about her daughter, um, because my daughter acts as a mirror for me so often. And one of the things, I mean, obviously I entered Al-Anon because I was being triggered left and right. But that the acceptance and frustration, you know, the frustration. And I remember, so one of the things that triggered me and got me into Al-Anon is that feeling my daughter would make me feel the way I felt when I was a kid. And so we're back to that age regression thing when we're triggered, right? Like I was seriously like, why do I feel like I did when I was growing up and now I'm in charge of this house? Like what is happening? And um, 
that was so that was a pretty big deal for me because I just was constantly like, why do I feel like this? And it's also, of course, she's talking a little bit about you spot it, you got it, right? And this idea, yeah, this idea that we're going to, we see something in somebody else and if it bothers us, it's a reflection of ourselves. And so one of the ways I deal with that, she said, you know, she works on accepting herself. And for me, it's it's acceptance, but it's also saying, now, where am I doing this particular behavior or, um, and how can I work? not to do it anymore. And I, I have an example of that too, but I'll let you um, say what you thought of Harriet's thing first. Cause I, I mean, I can go on. <laughs> so can I, Hey, we're well matched. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I was going to also pick up on that. If you spot it, you've got it uh, mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that, that other people are, are mirrors. And when I am, when I react um, out of line with, you know, disproportionately to use to use Harriet's word uh, to something that somebody says or does. Uh, one of the reasons for that can be that it's reflecting something. That person's reflecting something that I don't like in myself. Um, right. And I definitely notice that sometimes. Um, <laughs> not always. <laughs> not always. <laughs> Progress, you know, progress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it it is so true. It is so true that I was thinking about this. Um, so I think I've talked before in the, la- in, in the last few episodes. Or I know I've talked about this in meetings, but there's this guy at work that just bugs me. Um, and, you know, he's he's enthusiastic He's trying to help, and his job, basically, his role is uh, to help uh, the rest of us get our jobs done by doing some of the uh, sort of um, uh, bookkeeping activities around the work. You know, who's working on what? How long is it taking? What's what's in our way can can what can he do to to get things out of our way so we can get our, our work done you know it's a very it's an important role um, but something about this guy just really has been grating on me and the other day I recognized that I think he's got a whole bunch of people pleasing behaviors that I also mm-hmm. have <laughs> Um, yeah. And so I, I, I saw this really clearly, um, a new person came onto the team and he was busy finding sort of things they had in common. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, ah, and I realized that this is stuff that I have totally done in the past and will probably do again. Uh, and it's stuff that, that I kind of don't like in myself. This, um, you know, sort of picking out everything in my life that that might overlap with something in the other person's life too, so they'll like me because right. we have all this stuff in common, and I have to put it out there right away. And and I saw this happening, <laughs> and it just drove me nuts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That. Reminds me once in a meeting, I was kind of crabby. I was very crabby. And um, 
a woman, the woman in a meeting, she kept trying to cheer me up, right? She kept trying to do the thing where it's like, you know, she would make faces and I was so annoying. But of course, that's something I will always do if somebody was unhappy or sad. I had to make them feel better in right. some way. Um, and so I remember she did that. And I remember being like, why does she keep doing that? And then I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, it was like, yeah, that. That's totally a thing I have done in the past. And I, you know, I have, I will do still, you know, because again, progress, not perfection. But um, the other thing I was going to mention too about what Harriet said when she, she mentioned a thing about shame with the parents. Yeah. Um, and I, what I, what I've been thinking about lately is because at the, at my root, at my core, a lot of my fears about not being good enough. And I was wondering where it came from because I don't understand it. And because if you ask, I know if I asked my parents, if I ever said, I always felt like what I did wasn't good enough. And, I, you know, they would be like, what are you talking about? We always encouraged you. We were amazing. And so it was recently um, I got my parents concert tickets and we don't live very close to any metropolis. We're about two hours from everything. And she said to me, um, you know, they were getting ready to go, but they had to leave early because they had their own time. It's like, you know, you should have got a, a hotel room. And it was like this little moment. And I was like, that's what it is. It was those little things that could make me feel like what I did wasn't enough because it's not enough that I got them tickets to an awesome show. Why didn't I think of getting the hotel room? And right. so, um, and of course, and I've, I've learned, of course, I did that with my own daughter, which is something I had to face recently, again, looking at her and how she's a mirror of me because we would go, um, she would participate in things and then she would, like, she would say, oh, I'm going to go to this party. And then we would go, like, it was like an end of year church at, thing at the church. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the end of year thing. And then we go to church and we leave and she's like, well, I'm not going to go. And I'm like, well, why aren't you going to go? And she's like, well... They have, I wasn't in enough of the pictures and I wasn't really there and I didn't really do anything and I'm really not, I can't go. And I was like, of course you can. You're a part of the group. You know how to belong. You know, they love, you know, whenever you can come, it's great. If you can't make it all the time, it's wonderful. And then I realized, I remembered an incident when she was like in fifth grade and they had an end of the year show and chorus and um, she started she helped out she came in at the end maybe about two weeks and then they had the thing and um they did the performance and it was great and she was like they invited me to go to the party can I go and I was like you only I said no you can't go you joined at the end you weren't there the whole time and you just you just wanted to go because it's a party no you can't go and I was like that's it right there (laughs) You know, th- these are the things that I did um, because I didn't. And I told her, you know, I apologized to her yeah. when I realized I said, oh, my God, that's where it came from. Because it wasn't until I got in the program, of course, that I started to understand that this is a concept thing. Like participation is the key to ar- harmony. Service can be as small as setting up the chairs or um, putting things away or leading the meeting even if you don't come every time, we're happy you're here. You know, I didn't know that. And so, and, you know, and then she gave me a couple other examples and I did the same thing. And, you know, I was able to say to her, and again, this is the gift of the program. I was able to say to her, I am sincerely sorry that that happened because I didn't even know I was doing it and I didn't know better. 
But I need you, I said, and you trusted me then, and I need you to trust me now when I tell you there's a different way, and we're going to start taking contrary action. So even though you don't feel like you should go when you're invited, you're going to go whether you want to or not. (laughs) You know, but that's, I mean, I learned that too from doing service and program because it was, you had to do all or nothing. That's a black or white thinking I had coming in. And so you and I can see that damage that I've done, but I can also, um, in the ways, I mean, thinking about that shame, like the ways I can make her feel like she hasn't done enough, the ways I can be made to feel like I haven't done enough. And it's not always someone saying very specifically, you know, you're not enough. It's those little moments that Harry was talking about. It might be a look or something that says, and um, I think I heard it on, um, I heard it on here. I think it um um, oh, I forgot her name. Swetha. She said, you know, shaming should have already managed everything. And that yeah. was it, that idea that you should have known better in advance. And so, um, you know, I I don't have to live like that anymore, thankfully. But it, it it's rough. And I mean, we undoing that damage, it takes a lot of work. So Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about the um sort of well, what have you done for me today kind of thing. Well, that's Mm -hmm. great, but what have you done for me today? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And those can be really insidious kind of trigger things. Yeah, and very, like, I know enough now to know, wait, I did enough. I don't have to do everything. Like, there's a part that someone else can play. Um, And that, I mean, and that also goes back to practicing gratitude. And so I have to practice gratitude myself so that I understand. when something is enough because I can be grateful for the things I have instead of always thinking about what else I need that I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about behaviors that I see in my children that I'm sure, um, you know, are triggered by behaviors that we as parents had, um, especially during the, uh, the drinking years, as I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I'm I'm not here to take their inventory. I'm here to take my own. So I won't uh, won't go there. But it does, <laughs> you know, it makes me feel like what did it, what did I do, um, and how right. how I mean, where I need to go with that is what amends do I make, and when okay. when when am I done making amends? I mean, I think that's a, another question. I mean, I can I can do what I can do. I can't fix it for them. Um, I right. can't make them not have these behaviors. I can't, I can't make them come to program. Much as I would love them to come. Oh to program. my God! Much <laughs> as I would want them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can be there when they want to talk about it. I can. Um, what's the word I want here? I can validate their experience. Yeah. I can say yes, that did happen. Uh, yes, that was wrong. Yes, that was mm-hmm. shitty behavior on our part. Uh, and, but I can't fix it. <laughs> right. As much as I want to fix cho- it, I want to fix it. <laughs> right. And your children are grown too, which is yeah. an entirely, I mean, so there's also that. But, right, there's a point where, you know, so much of it is a changed behavior, the new behavior, and showing them a different way. Yeah. And also, I think the other thing is just, being forgiving to ourselves and understanding, yes. you know, that 
Now I know a better way so I can exercise the better way. And part of my amends is, of course, and I've said this before, but to keep coming back to programs so I can always do it better now because I didn't have the tools then. And it's okay because, I mean, I was just doing what I was taught and which is, you know, my parents didn't have the tools either, you know, so what you going to do? What you going to (laughs) do? I got another email. I got one from Julia uh, and uh, she writes, Dear Spencer, when you started talking about intimacy, trust, and vulnerability at the end of the unmanageability episode, I immediately thought of triggers, which is, I know is going to be a topic for the near future, and here we are. Trust and intimacy are huge hurdles for me and totally tie in with my triggers. My relationship with my alcoholic boyfriend started off with his jealousy and lying and my confusion and acceptance of it. It turned into an unsaid automatic role play that we fell into for years, all the way up to the point where I broke up with him. I couldn't see exactly how overprotective of me he was, and that he would make me unapproachable in public. Friends have pointed this out to me since. But what I did see, and did not assess or know how to fight, was the constant betrayal of my trust and my boundaries. Even the week before I broke up with him, a year into Al-Anon, I did not follow through on my boundary when he took my debit card late at night to go to the bar. I was angry and told him for the nth time that there would be consequences if he did it again. The manipulation that comes with emotional abuse is such that I feared any confrontation with him and could not trust anything he said or did. I know now that he was deep into his illness, the illness of alcoholism, but I really felt that I had no right to deny him anything, even things he took without asking or information about me he shared with other people. I have found since breaking up with him and the hurtful aftermath that I have intense trust issues with almost everyone in certain ways, but especially with people who may have addictions and with potential romantic partners. I have not started dating it because of the fear I have that someone will shame or dismiss me and take everything that someone says while under the influence as weighing far heavier than what they say when they're sober. This is a huge distortion in my thinking. Strangely, I am comfortable talking to a lot of people about certain insecurities I have or about more intimate details of my thoughts, but I have walls set up around sex and desire especially. In the last few months, when I am social at bars or gigs, I tend to freeze when alcoholics or addicts decide to talk to me. They seem to know exactly how to trigger me into a shrinking violet full of anxiety. Pry into my personal life, make advances, put me on a high pedestal while picking parts of me apart. Particularly, I have seen some of these encounters as another effing growth opportunity when I stubbornly thought, I'm tired and it would be smart for me to stay home, but I feel like socializing, so I will go to this bar and chat. My will. I think my higher power then sends me a learning experience in the form of an addict who wants to cross my boundaries. I guess this has given me practice in some ways to learn how to stand my ground or use my voice in ways I never could before. Fortunately, Al-Anon has made it so that I do have people in my life in the program that I can have intimate, trustful conversations with. This is an unmeasurable gift. Julia. The thing that struck me in there was how um, and this was certainly true for me, being in a relationship with um, an active alcoholic uh, really distorted my feelings uh, and thinking and the ways in which uh, I react to other people. Um, mm-hmm. what, do you, what what strikes you in, in uh, Julia's show? Yeah, I, I mean, I really, um, really 
again, not necessarily in a romantic relationship, although I, I think I mentioned before, I have been avoiding them pretty much um, forever. I've been avoiding them forever because um, it was it was that whole thing where it was like, again, I don't know. I had this realization about myself that I would lose myself in my friendships and that if it was a romantic kind of relationship, it would be worse. And so I kind of just went to the part where I was like, nope, I'm not going to do that. But I remember specifically, um, I have huge with people being late. And then I will always get involved with people who are always late. You know, like that's the kind of thing. And it's like, I knew it shouldn't happen, but I still, I didn't know how to stand up for myself. Um, Another thing that she was, says up here that um, when someone um, would, they would take something or do something. And I remember telling my dad, I would be like, don't use my car. Don't do this. And then he would come back and be like, yeah, I just had to take it around for a spin. And it got to the point where I expected it. And so even though it made me angry, I just knew he was going to do it and it was going to make me angry. Hmm. I don't know where to put that, but it just, you know, because, you know, it's just, I just always, again, this goes back to not feeling like I really could say no. And then of course he was drinking and so he didn't care anyway. And then understand why nobody in the family liked him except my daughter, who was three, you know. And then um, the other thing that she um, she mentioned was in the socializes, going to the bars or to the places where she has, it says gigs. I think she has gigs. And one of the things I started to realize um, was to figure out how didn't make me feel bad or didn't make give me that anxiety so like, I, I would go my friends always wanted to go out to the clubs and stuff mm-hmm. and I hate clubbing and so before I would go and now I'm like no I'm not going to the club but if you have a game night I'm down for that or we're going to sit around and watch movies I can do that because I realized that I wasn't having fun and it just made me feel bad um when I did it and so, you know, it took some time for me to get to that place of just being like, you know, I don't have to say yes to everything, especially if it makes me uncomfortable. But it took time for me to realize that I could do that. And it goes back to, again, that first thing I was talking about, about knowing I have choices and knowing how to set boundaries, which it took me, you know, I've been in a program almost three years and it's taken me almost that long to to really recognize all the places I need to do it. And I know I'm still missing some, you know. I've been in the program a little longer than three years and I'm still finding stuff. Yeah. Maybe I'm just slow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, doing this doing this show really helps me. Uh, every, you know, every week I have like this intense meeting on a, on a topic. It's like pretty amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's really great. And it's fun. I mean, it's another reason why I appreciate the show because sometimes we may talk about something in meeting or, but hearing people share so much on one, I mean, well, you know, with you and the other person who's usually here or when people call or leave their voicemails gives me more insight and it makes me consider things I hadn't before, which, you know, I always need that. Yeah. Hearing, hearing God's voice through other people um, is definitely true. Yes. So I know we we mentioned through sort of through our stories um, some of the ways in which um, the program is helping us to mm-hmm. uh, reduce the impact or maybe even eliminate some triggers. So we talked about uh, inventory. I talked about um, making some amends. 
uh, although sort of on the other side, I guess. But uh, um, uh, and one of the things I think you know maybe didn't come up is how does uh, trusting in in a loving God and, and a higher power uh, that can restore us to sanity per step two? Uh, how does his is, does that help you in any ways to um, deal with the triggers that that you still um, see? To me, that's that's basically what it does. It's it's all about and it's also getting ten eleven with prayer and meditation, but just that idea that um knowing that there's help, I can ask for help. And like as you've mentioned many times, my higher speaks to me a lot through other people other people program. And I found that to be true. Um, even like I said, or the literature just saying and I was in here, you know, when I had that, that episode with my mom and I was in here and I was just like, and I'm saying in here because I'm actually in my room right now, but <laughs> I was in here like, please help me figure out what this is because and, and that's where my higher power comes in um, by giving me understanding and showing me what I need to to keep growing. How about you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, I think a lot around fear, um, when I'm, when I'm fearful, um, I can, I can, I know I can let go when I'm in the past. I can, I can say, you know, bring me back to the present, um, take a, take a little moment to reconnect. Um, and, uh, oh man, I was thinking this, (laughs) this morning, um, one of the things that that still triggers me really strongly, and it has, well, indirectly, I guess, has something to do with alcoholism. Was uh, so we've hooked up um, our bank account, so it sends alerts by like email and text message when the balance drops below a certain number because this is an issue right. for us because we don't take really, you know. We don't budget real well and shit like that. Uh, <laughs> and so when my phone or my wife's phone buzzes in the middle of the night for a text message, mm-hmm. like I get this whole panic thing. Like, oh my God. Uh, and I don't want to look because if I look and it really is the bank, then, you know, then I'm going to have to deal with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole fear thing. And, um, I, you know, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for help all over the place on this thing. And we're getting better on the budget thing too. So it happens less often. So that's cool. Oh, yay. But just last night I was sleeping and I sort of woke up and in the waking up, there was this thing that was maybe like the buzz the phone makes when it gets a text message. Right. I don't know if it was even real. Like it might have just been in the dream. But I still had that sort of panic reaction. And I looked at my phone and the phone wasn't lit up. So I'm like, I don't think it was at that. But it's still that just sort of ate at me. And this is a place where um, I can ask God for support, you know? Right. Like, I know things are going to be okay, but I forget to do it. And 
and and I and when I finally got up this morning, I looked at the phone. There's no text message, and actually the phone was not even on vibrate. So if there had been a text message, it would have made a totally different noise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yes. <laughs> obviously, I got some work to do here. You know, um, but yeah. I, but I know I know <laughs> I can do it. And and that's that's another place where that trust in higher power comes in is is knowing that I can do it, mm-hmm. that I can make it better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, can, and I, I found that money stuff is hard. Like it's it's hard. That's one of the it's a hard me to totally get it. Yeah. Any uh, any last thoughts about triggers? Um, no, I think I've said so much. I think that's All right. everything. <laughs> All right. And uh, you've got a little bit more reading for us. Yeah. So this is today's reminder. And this is again on page 220, August 7th from Hope for Today. Thought for the day. With every meeting attended, with every Al-Anon tool worked and applied, the ability to value myself expands. And the quote at the bottom comes from Survival to Recovery. And it says, Al-Anon taught me that I am worth something, but most of all, that I choose how to live my life. And that's another great book. Yeah. And that one is, um, I think it's the one they did specifically for adult children of alcoholics, though, you know, anybody can use it because it can apply to any situation. Yeah. I I went to a meeting once that, um, it was a literature meeting, and they were reading from that book, and it was... Again, the way things happen, here I was in California, I went to a meeting, I'd never been to this meeting before, I've never been to that meeting again, and they were reading from, from uh, Survival to Recovery, and the reading like directly spoke to some of the stuff that I was struggling with right then. Perfect. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Rust <laughs> in my higher power, oh yeah. So, after... After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And you have um, a musical selection you want to talk about. Oh, yeah. So our first musical selection, which is on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 92, is Michelle Cello's song, Fool of Me. Um, And the lyrics, it's a very simple song. It's not even that long. And it's, you made a fool of me. Tell me why. You say that you don't care that we made love. Tell me why. I, I picked this song specifically because it reminds me a lot of my relationship with my daughter's father, you know, going back to those romantic relationships yeah. and um, being made to feel like, you know, there's something I missed or there's something I should have done better or different. But I think it also applies to other times where I felt stupid or used or tossed aside or like I should have made better choices. It's just... It's a great song. It's very haunting. And um, whenever I hear it, you know, it takes me back to that. And it's very cathartic because this, I think the other thing I really like about it is you made a fool of me. Tell me why. Because I thought I was showing up in a way and then you just discarded me or didn't see it the same way um, and trying to understand. And today I get to understand my own part in things yeah. and feel so I can get better and hopefully not be in that situation again. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. 
about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week and how we continue to use the principles of the program in all our affairs. And uh, Akila, how was uh, your week? This was actually um, a really good week for me. So I usually go to two meetings. I go to a Wednesday meeting and a Saturday meeting. Um, before I went to my meeting, though, my mom was my mom was having a bad week, and she is having a lot of trouble. I, I, as I mentioned, she is an adult child of an alcoholic. She is not in program. She goes to church, and she that's enough for her. And I have to respect that. But she was having a really hard time with some family stuff. And I mentioned her relationship with my daughter. They've been um, going through some things, too. And so, you know, she was really upset and she called me and I was at work and she was just kind of venting a little bit. And I hung up and I was like, oh, my gosh, she just really needs to go to program. You know, this is the way I think. Mm. And. The problem, of course, is that when I first got into program, I violated our 12th tradition, which says attraction rather than promotion, because I was all about, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And so I don't really, I don't even, I mean, she knows I go to meetings and stuff, but mentioning, like, I, I don't ever want to tell her again, you need to come. Yeah. And so what I actually did you know, because it was really bothering me because I was just like, this would be very helpful to her. And so what I did instead was um, I called her back because I was like, you know, maybe before I just talked so much about, oh, showing me so much about how I grew up and all this stuff, which was not always, um, which sometimes could be hurtful to her too. And so all I did, um, I called her and I said, you know, all of the things you're talking about, those are the kinds of things that we do in our meeting or that help a meeting. And I found it very helpful. So I just want to, and, and I said, and you don't, I just want you to know you don't have to figure it out by yourself and you don't have to do it alone if that's something that you're interested in. And you don't have to come to meetings with me because there are meetings all the time. But if you ever start feeling like you can't figure it out, it might be a place to check out. And she said, thank you. And then we hung up. Mm-hmm. And then she was talking to me, you know, later we were talking some more and I wanted to say it again. But I said, no, you know what? I already said it once and I'm going to let it go. But at the, in that situation, I thought it would it was helpful just to sort of say, you know, I know before I was telling you all about how, yes, I'm a group in an alcoholic home and this is da, 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 da. But this was a way for me to say, you know, it helps with relationships that are going on right now. Yeah. And then I can let it go and leave it alone because if she wants more information, she'll ask me. And this, I mean, studying the traditions and going to meetings where we talk about the traditions it's very helpful because it's very easy for me to be preachy very fast, very fast. So, um, so, um, at my Wednesday meeting, we actually talked about the concepts, which, um, I was thinking for next year, cause you did the steps and traditions doing the concepts might be a good idea. And then, um, and I would be willing to, I would totally be willing to help out with that the way Ruth has been doing with the traditions, by the way. So that was just something I was thinking. But anyway, yeah. at my Wednesday meeting, um, the topic was Concept 12, which I don't have my path to recovery in front of me, but Concept 12, and it basically says, I think it might be in the back of the hope for today, but it says that the the conference follows the general warranties of the concepts and it go and it gives it lists four or five of them. 
And that was a great meeting because it reminded me, um, one of them, we were talking about many a minute ago, one of the warranties mentions having a sufficient... I've got it. Actually, I found it here. You want me to read it? Yes, thank you. Oh my gosh. That only sufficient operating funds, including an ample reserve, be its prudent financial principle. Yes. And so... As I was saying, money is something that I can struggle with, and I really struggle with the sufficient part. And so it was really helpful to me to remember that I have sufficient funds. I have enough. I want an ample reserve, but right now that's more aspirational. (laughs) But I'm operating within my means, which is a big deal for me, and like aware of it, and that it, um, it's really helpful. So that was that was helpful to think about. We talked about, um, I think one of the other warranties mentioned something about not being personally punitive. And we talked about how that could relate to gossip um, mm. as well as being mean to people. But um, specifically gossip, which I had never thought of. And um, I think that was pretty much it for the Wednesday meeting. It's always a great meeting. A lot of people didn't share because they, you know, the concepts tend to be a little bit more up there they're all businessy yeah they are they they sound kind of like but i started once i started going to a meeting that would do like a concept a month and read it i started to understand them more and then i did some reading in the past the recovery about it um and so it's one of those things where so a lot of people pass for a long time which is great for me but maybe not so much for them <laughs> and then at my saturday meeting <laughs> Then at my Saturday meeting, it was actually a step meeting, and we were doing step 10, um, where, again, in that meeting, it mentioned, you know, get outside help if you need it, just to bring that back home. But there was a newcomer at the meeting, and so step 10 was really, you know, step 10 is prayer, um, turn into your higher power. And we had a newcomer. So we finished our discussion on that. Um, there was a retreat, so a lot of people were away. And I was I was leading a meeting that day. So I said, you know, let's make, do y'all mind if we talk about step one? Mm-hmm. So we kind of did it, you know, and I, I know you mentioned you've done this. You have a meeting that does this, a similar thing. Yeah. And, and so we did a step one meeting, which um, he really related to, which was great. Because, you know, he was like, you know, every everything before this, I was just kind of like, I have no idea what's going on. But this powerlessness thing and this unmanageability thing I get. And that was a great reminder for me because um, not only about the um, what it's like to be a newcomer. So this was a reminder for me of why I still need to keep going to meetings, even though I'm quote unquote better. Um, because there were two things that happened. One... There was a local retreat, so a lot of people weren't there. And if I hadn't been there, or if none of us had shown up, then this newcomer wouldn't have had anybody to talk to. Yeah. And two, um, sometimes I think that I got it, <laughs> or I'm better, <laughs> like I said. And it's easy for me to just be like, oh, I don't feel like going, or I don't want to go. But this is the service, because... We're here for the newcomer, and I think that's really important. I mean, I get a lot out of it, too. Yeah. But I just think about if I hadn't been there, and then if the other people hadn't been there, who would have been there to support this guy 
who was brand new to program and didn't understand anything and feels like his life is falling apart, you know, and that, I mean, that's the real gift, the service that people are still coming back to share what they have with us. Um, yeah, well, I was just thinking about, um, you know, I listened to uh, Recovered Podcast. Um, I don't know if you've listened yes. to that one. And, yes, I have. And I've heard you on there before, too. I started on there, yeah. Anyway, uh, Mark talks about, he expresses that the purpose of meetings is to carry the message. And right. that the real recovery happens outside the meeting, working with a sponsor or working with other people in the program. Um, and, right. uh, and I think that sometimes in Elanon, I, I have to remember that going to meetings is not enough. Um, that, that going to meetings is, is carrying the message. Um, and, and as soon as I start feeling like, but also as soon as I start feeling, well, well, that's the only reason I'm going to meetings. I'm reminded that, um, I need to hear the message. I need to keep right. hearing the message. Uh, and uh, and and it, and sometimes it happens. You know, both of those happen in the same meeting. You know, like you said with your meeting, yes. there, that uh, um, you were you were carrying the message to the newcomer, the person who um, you know was struggling with alcoholism and addiction in 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 his life, and and carrying that message of hope and recovery uh, to him, but that also. Turned that turned right around and strengthened, um, strengthened your program too. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and the last thing that happened this week, you'll get a kick out of this. So at church this morning, the sermon was actually caring without controlling. Whoop. <laughs> yeah, and which is good for me to hear because you, you mentioned this before. I think I can't remember which episode it was in. Um, maybe enabling, I don't remember, but the thing about your, your son being late for school yeah. and my, my daughter is late a lot. And so one of the things that I've done is, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to wake you up. And then of course I'm like, I start getting anxious Thank thinking you. about the people. Yep. <laughs> and so then I'm like, you have to get up, you know? Yep. So and I told her that and I'm like, you know, I had to, I woke her up twice this week, which is way the first time because she's been getting up. And doing really well. And so I was like, what happened? You know, the second time they had the PSAT and I'm like, listen, you need to go. But then I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore because she needed to, she really, if she overslept, she should have just missed it. You know what I mean? But so that was a message. So I was thinking about that and then thinking, and he said, he was like, you know, thinking about all the ways that people's lives would be better if they just would listen to us. Why won't you let me fix you? Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, why don't you understand that I know what's best for you? And if you would just tweak this one little thing, everything in your life would fall into place, you know. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I've I've heard and or said all of those things before. And then um, what was great, though, so then at the end, he said the takeaway, he finally got it when he was with somebody who told him, you don't get to be responsible for my feelings. Because a lot of it was that whole thing of trying to keep the other person from being hurt, um, which I know for a lot of us, at least for me, oh, yeah. that was a big part of my problem is trying to protect the, the people in my life. Yeah. 
hurt. And it was so great because um, a woman in program goes to my church and I saw her and I was like, that was just like going to a meeting. And she was like, yeah. <laughs> I love it when I get 12 steps in my sermons. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. Um, and, you know, I thank the minister for and I said, you know, that's just what I need to hear. And that's always something I need to hear, you know. But I also need to let people, I mean, he even said, you know, we have to let people um, figure their own lives out and turn them over to their own higher power. Yep. Was awesome and right in line with what we're doing here. So it was great. My sermon was a meeting today. Mm-hmm. How about you? How was your week? Wow, my week was not nearly as full as your week was. I think uh, making up for the week before when I had all the the family and other recovery stuff happening. Um, I did not make it to my home group this week. Uh, was we were having a going away uh, party for a, a friend at work who's been there for ten years is going off to a new, hopefully better uh, position, at least different. So I didn't make it to that meeting and. Uh, uh, and Sunday night, my Sunday night meeting, I didn't make it to because I was uh, still driving home from the weekend with my family. And so it's been uh, it's been a, a very low meeting week. I did make it to my Saturday morning meeting, which was about, uh, it's a step meeting. And we were talking about step seven, yes, which um, I connected right back to talking about trust uh with uh, with Mara last week, and particularly trust in my higher power, because uh, I can't I can't do step seven without trust in my higher power, without trust that um, when something is when 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 my higher power takes something away, that that I'll get something better, uh, and that right. Uh, um, yeah, and there was something else there that is totally gone from my head, but. <laughs> um, and uh, and you know, thinking about the triggers, um, it's been so. Oh, oh, when you were talking about your daughter and about getting her up in the morning, so my daughter finished college, came home, uh, was staying in our house for a while while she found a job, and then found an apartment, and and finally moved out a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so when she was home uh, and working, I found myself having that same morning anxiety that I had when they were going to school and I would be, I would get <laughs> up and she's not up. She's supposed to be at work. Why is she, do I need to wake her up? And, and a couple of times I gave in. And mm-hmm. like one time I came up and I said, um, aren't you supposed to be getting up? And she said, no, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work late today. They know about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know? And, uh, and, and the other time I texted her and she was already gone. Like she had got up early and left before I even made it downstairs. Um, and it's just like, you know, my higher power, give me that message. Like, this is her life. This is her responsibilities, and she's taking care of it. And you and I got to butt out. <laughs> so uh, it's still there, you know. It's still there. Twenty three years old, and you know has a job, and I'm still trying to make sure she gets up in the morning. <laughs> that's great. Well, and the other thing that's so funny because the other part, and this is the other reason that 
that controlling, you know, caring without controlling was so good because my daughter has to do her homework. And so she's in high school and she wants to go to college. And so what I've told her, you know, I'm backing off. You're the one who wants good grades and you're the one that wants to go to college. But then like yesterday, she was supposed to be doing her work and she didn't. I'm like, give me your phone (laughs) so you can do work. And she's like... I know what I'm doing. You know, it's the whole back and forth. And then finally I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. And I and I try now not to be um because I've learned that I can be manipulative by saying, I'm oh, that's right. I said I wasn't gonna say anything more about helping you with school because you're the one who wants to go to college. You know, I would do that. And so I'm like, yeah. oh well. And I had already started. So I was just like, well, you're the one who wants stuff. So I'm leaving you alone. Cause, you know, I was already missentenced. Yeah. And I did this morning and she was like, oh, my God, you were really trying to help me because now I'm behind. And I was like, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can. <laughs> anyway, parenting but is. So- it Parenting is a thing. Um, it's a hard thing. <laughs> and uh, what I get from that, what I hear in that in that story is um, you did not enable her by making her do her homework. And so she got the pain. Right. Oh, I'm behind and I need to catch up. And this is what, why you were telling me I needed to do my homework. See, she figured that out herself because you didn't enable her. Right. And one thing, I mean, and I think the hard part is this has happened before. It's that kind of thing where, um, it takes what it takes and you get it when you get it, you know, the whole deal Yeah. where it's been an ongoing thing where she is panicking. And I even told her yesterday, you know, I said, I don't want to hear you crying tomorrow when you realize, <laughs> because I'm not going to participate, you know, I'm not yeah. going to participate in that part, but it's, um, and I, and I, I think about that because I'm like, you know, this is part of her figuring out what's going to work for her because she is, she's going to go away to college and she has to, she has to manage this stuff on her own and she has to learn now and she's not going to if I keep jumping in there trying to make it better and trying to force her to do it and she'll mm-hmm. get her natural consequences mm-hmm. and she'll figure out, hey, I don't want this anymore and she knows what she has to do so then she'll do it. But it's, and I just think about that when um, when it comes to addiction too and and I can understand how hard it is seeing someone hurt themselves and again, knowing I have the answer. <laughs> But giving them the dignity of choice and letting them figure it out on their own in their own time. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that that um, happened actually this morning. Uh, so I get up and I like pick up my phone and I'm looking at Facebook, and my our minister had linked an article uh, titled Four Things I Do When I Wake Up with Alcoholism." And oh! Like, oh! Awesome! And the, the article <laughs> talks about you know this the the spiritual the spiritual malady um, mm-hmm. that uh, and the, and this person expresses this feeling of um, what does Mark say? Mark says uh, egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Yes. This mm-hmm. person said, um, "I'm the most important piece of shit in the room." Yeah, uh, that feeling, and that you know, alcohol wasn't the problem. Alcohol was the solution. The problem was the feeling. 
um, right. and and talking about you know how the twelve step program helped. I think it's her. The picture that goes with the with the article is has a woman, but I don't really know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Talks about how the program, how talking to another alcoholic, going to a meeting, um, mm-hmm. writing in in a journal. Um, and putting sobriety first; uh, those are the four things uh, that 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 they do um, to uh, to deal. Yeah, okay, I know why. Because it talks about sponsor being she, so I figured it's probably a woman. Uh, okay, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, wow, this is so true. Um, so I'll try. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Four things. To, four things to do when I wake up with alcoholism, um, because it it. I, I, I linked it. I, I shared it on my Facebook, um, and uh, I got a couple of like likes already. So we'll see. Likes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that's about it for 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 the my week. My my whole life is is work these days, um, and I try to also get some program in there. So we have some upcoming topics. Uh, I'm I'm being uh, non-committal here. Uh, I don't really know. Um, I guess this is news from the podcast, but I'll talk about it now because um, I'm thinking about it now. Um, as I as I mentioned last week, uh, my wife's going to be having some surgery, and that will be having an impact on my ability to uh, to get the podcast out on a regular basis for the next couple of weeks, probably uh, as uh, I provide hopefully healthy support because one of the upcoming topics is, is it caretaking or healthy support? Another topic coming up because November's coming up will be tradition 11 uh, with Ruth and tradition 11 says our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, and TV. We need guard with special care, the anonymity of all AA members. And that's an interesting one uh, for the podcast because how do how are we anonymous? Are we press, radio, TV, internet? Internet's not explicitly mentioned there, but I think it ought to be. Um, and so I'll probably talk a little bit about the things we do in the podcast to try to maintain that level of anonymity that um, the tradition talks about. Yes. Um, so uh, we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. And Akila, how can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join a conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at the com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of triggers or our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. I'll also mention, too, because you um, last time I called and left all those messages, and you were saying, you know, I did it as I was listening. I listened a lot of times in my car, mm-hmm. and I actually programmed the number to the show into my phone so that I have it available so I can call when I think of something. So put that's it on a button. Way right. to go about it. Awesome. <laughs> Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about the recovery show? Well, that would be our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We've got all the information about the show, uh, links to subscribe in iTunes or other uh, podcast apps, notes for each episode, uh, 
links to the music we're talking about, links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. And you can leave uh, comments uh, on the website. Uh, you can look at our suggested topic list and uh, see when you'd like covered. Uh, let us know. Leave a, leave a suggestion or send an email. And uh, as we've seen over the last, uh, I think, three weeks now in a row, I've got... Um, Listeners, people who started out as listeners to the show are now participating as guest hosts uh, by phone or Skype or FaceTime. And uh, email feedback at com if you're interested. We had Akila, we had Mara, we had Ruth, and I think the week before that I had Mara again. So it's been a, it's been a great guest host uh, uh, run here, and I hope to keep going. I'm going to take a short break before we uh, dive into our mailbag and see what's there. The second musical selection, which is available again on the website, uh, it's called Little Triggers and it's by Elvis Costello. And I just, and I was looking, I, I was having a hard time finding songs like about triggers. Uh, I mm-hmm. found a lot of songs that sort of trigger various memories in me, I think as you did too. And I, I liked your first selection because that kind of goes across both of those uh you know, it, it it sort of talking about triggers, but also um, uh, obviously took you back to some uh, some places earlier in your life. But this song uh, it seems to me to be about the ways in which we trigger each other. And it's got this wonderful line, little triggers that you pull with your tongue. Uh, and so many of, of my triggers come from somebody saying something. I just was like, yeah, okay, got to play this song. Yes. Right, we have mail. So I got an email from Steve. He says, Hi there, I love, love, love the recovery show. Thank you for everything you do in making this unique form of recovery available to people. I visit and revisit the content during my week in the midst of going to my regular meetings and my overall program wouldn't be the same without it. A little bit about myself. My name is Steve and I've been in Al-Anon nearly seven months now. I was blessed to find an outstanding family group where I live and have the best sponsor in the world, for me at least. I've completed the 12 steps and continually look for opportunities my higher powers give me to work on myself and thus give others the chance to benefit from the me work I'm doing. It's not always easy, as you know, but in every way it is unquestionably worth it. I'm also a longtime podcaster. I hosted a podcast for seven years before finally ending the show, and just recently I started a new show, which is a form of what you're doing at The Recovery Show, although not 12-step focused. It's my way of sharing my self-work, my insights, and discoveries to an audience of people who I'm already familiar with, and hopefully spread some love, hope, and experience over there. In listening to your podcast, I felt increasingly nudged by my higher power to reach out and offer to record and share with you on your show if you have room. If the schedule is too packed tight now, believe me, I know how that goes. Running a podcast at the same time as running a life can be hectic. But if it's a possibility, I'd definitely be on board with hooking up via Skype or any other method and helping in any way. Thanks again for everything you do. Every podcast is truly appreciated. Steve. And of course, I almost immediately wrote back to Steve and said, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I don't know why he thinks my schedule is packed. I, I plan these things um, at most a week ahead, uh, most of these episodes. So uh, uh, schedule, um, yeah, not exactly packed. So thanks for the offer, Steve, and, uh, and we'll hook up soon, soon I'm sure. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think also, Spencer, you've mentioned your full life <laughs> with work and your your family, so that may be also it's referring There's to. something going on there, and and I love where he says, uh, um, you know, running a podcast and trying to do a life at the same time is. I'm like, yeah, I am totally there, Steve. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a comment on the uh, show notes for episode 87, which was about unmanageability. And this is from Katie. You want to read that? Sure. Hey, Spencer. I love this. This week I had an epiphany. Maybe grad school is so hard because I am A, not taking care of myself, and B, using old habits to get by. Those old habits are great for grad school. Perfectionism, controlling others, obsessing. They all help me get the A grade, but leave me empty and unhappy at night. Here I was thinking that I couldn't fit in me time or Al-Anon podcasts or phone meetings because I was too busy. But in reality, I think I was too busy because I was not taking care of myself. Skill set and habits are blurred. Options and choices are blurred as well. And uh, thanks, Katie, for writing. And I get it. Um, I I did the grad school thing. and, and Ugh, Me too. <laughs> it's uh, So, yeah, I'm glad that you're... you're looking at uh, at your choices, looking at your options mm-hmm. and recognizing that it's really important to to get that time for yourself along with the uh, the A's. You know what actually <laughs> I mean um, my grad school experience and I can only speak my own experience is that the only thing that really mattered was that I finished um, and the grades that I got along the way, I don't think anybody has ever looked at those. They're like, oh, you got the letters after your name. You're good. Okay. So, uh, I know the I know the personal drive to get the perfect grade. Totally better. Yeah. I was gonna say, um, Katie didn't mention how long she's been in program, and I didn't find Alan until right after I decided to quit slash take a break from mine. Um, but what I what I learned was that my identity was so wrapped up in being a student and being this grad school person that it was hard for me to set healthy boundaries around my work. And to um, even like you were saying, Spencer, to even think about it as, oh, I need to finish. I was, I mean, I was still trapped by perfectionism and um, have recently come to realize that a large part of my paralysis in my program was that I didn't know if I could finish, so I didn't mm. want to start. And oh, yeah. that was really understanding that and now knowing how to do, again, and this is my black and white, all or nothing. Like, if I can't finish, how can I start? You know, but if you don't start, how can you finish, Akila? I had to ask myself. So, um, you know, so it just, I think it's great that Katie's in program while working on her thing because I wasn't. And it's only been through going being in program now that I'm even able to consider going back to finish because I know I have better, healthier habits and self-care is one of them. And self-care is always hard for me. So I totally get it, Katie. Keep coming back. (laughs) For sure. Let's see. Actually, I think I gave the news um, about um, possible upcoming interruption in schedule. So move right on. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show. I mean, you got to have a computer or a phone and an internet and all that kind of stuff, okay? But 
Uh, yeah, sorry. Getting distracted here. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which are running about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. Uh, we have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Becky did. Thanks, Becky, for your continuing support. Becky's one of our um, regular contributors, and I really, Thanks, really Becky. appreciate it. Uh, we have uh, some other ways you can support us, uh, at least if you live in the U.S., by shopping at Amazon. Uh, there's a Donate by Shopping link on uh, the front page and just about every page on the website that you can use. If you click on that and then go buy some stuff, uh, we get a commission. Uh, don't buy stuff just to give us money, though. Just give us the money. Um, but uh, if you have stuff you want to buy, and we also have recovery-related books, which you might be interested in. Uh, many of which you can purchase through Amazon uh, or through the uh, the Al-Anon online bookstore. Uh, so check out the books link at the top of the page if you are looking for literature that maybe your meeting doesn't have or non-program literature, we have a certain amount of that as well. But in any case, thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. So our last song selection is actually... Ex- it's Expression by Salt and Papa, which you can listen to at therecoveryshow.com slash 92. Um, the course is pretty simple. It says express yourself. You got to be you and only you, babe. Express yourself and let me be me. Um, this is a fun song, and not just for the message, but because it reminds me of being a kid. Spencer asked, you know, what what's a happy, something maybe that triggers a happy memory? Because that also happens, especially with music. And this one reminds me, um, during the summer, my sister and my friends and I made up a dance routine to the song and it had a great dramatic entrance. Like we all had an entrance onto the porch. We practiced and we did this dance. And so whenever I hear the song, aside from just really liking it because it's super fun, I always remember that and it makes me smile. And so that's why I picked it. It also helps to remind me to be my own person because I got to be me. And I got to express myself. So enjoy. Thanks. Thank you for listening. And please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Mm-hmm.